This podcast is produced by Unedited. Hello, Dreamers, and welcome to episode 110 of the Dreamers Disease podcast with me, Alex Manzi. And this podcast basically exists after going through my own battles with depression and anxiety. I wanted to create a platform to inspire you to make a positive change in your life. And whether that's a discussion about everyday struggles or hearing the story of an inspirational guest, we aim to help you to start becoming the best version of you. And on this week's episode, I am joined by Steph Ellswood, formerly known as Healthy Chef Steph on Instagram. And Steph is one of my favorite people to follow online. She's a lifestyle blogger who uses her platform to inspire women just like her. And she's so positive and true and honest to herself with what she's going through. And I just find her energy amazing. So I was really happy to get her on the podcast to join me for this conversation. And during this chat, we spoke about the pressures of growing up through dance school, how she overcame an eating disorder, learning to take time for herself, rediscovering her why and why she's recently given up drinking alcohol. So before we jump in, I just want to thank you for listening. Be sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you are listening right now. And if you are really enjoying this conversation, take a screenshot of you listening to it on your phone, post it to your Instagram story, tag me at IamAlexManzi and I will connect with you over there. But right now, let's jump straight in and hear from Steph. So hello, Steph. Hello. How you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am very well. We've been having a lovely chat before we've actually started recording, which is always nice. Um, but to kick start us off, can you just let the listeners know a bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. So I am Steph Ellswood and I run the Instagram Steph Ellswood that used to be called Healthy Chef Steph. I've been doing that for about four years now um, and it's changed over time from just a food page to now kind of being a lifestyle page, sharing my journey. Um, I also set up a charity two years ago and I run events for that um, and that's kind of it really. Yeah, sick. So first of all, because I, I kind of wanted to speak about this anyway, what, what made you decide to change your Instagram name? Because I've always followed you and known you indirectly as Healthy Chef Steph. Yeah. Whereas now obviously you're like government name. What was the kind of vibe behind that? Um, well, it was a long time coming. I changed my Instagram name last year for a day and then was like no 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 I'm not ready I'm not ready because originally Healthy Chef Steph was like a private page that I didn't want anyone to know about it was going to be just like an online diary and all of that kind of stuff um and then it got to the point where I was like feeling a bit restricted by the name and I wasn't posting much food anymore and say for example I went to like a fashion event and mm. someone was like what's your Instagram I'd be like oh can I type it in because it's like it's like you know when you make your first email address and it's just super cringe yeah. and I was just like nah I'm, I'm over the healthy chef Steph thing I just want it to be my name and then yeah. I'm not tied down to posting about a certain thing or anything like that and people would always ask me like oh my god you're a chef where do you cook and I'm like yeah. oh my house it just happens to rhyme with my name and stuff like that so I feel like it was finally time to kind of move on and evolve and all of that kind yeah. of thing and I think it's good because I think it does show like the growth of not just your page, but you as a person. Yeah. And like, you know, we were chatting just before and I've seen, I've been following you for like a year and a half, maybe, maybe even more, to be honest. It feels like a year and a half, but I feel, it could even be longer. And I feel like when I discovered your page, I was a bit like, okay, healthy chef Steph, I kind of get it. Like, but then I was like, but she doesn't post about chefing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was like, cool, it's just, it's just, a, that is, it's an Instagram name and it's, I know they've got like really hard to change once you've kind of got to a certain amount of, followers and you're verified and that sort of stuff so I was just like okay cool whatever and then when I saw the change in the name I was like ah yes this makes so much sense now so I was yeah. like little fanboy moment of like yes it's a little <laughs> win I was like this is sick 
Um, I know, so you, you trained as a dancer when you were younger, right? Yeah. So kind of my whole life, my parents put me into dancing like any kind of parent on a Saturday, just going to kind of make friends and have a hobby and that kind of thing. Um, so I started going to like a few ballet classes and then dancing literally took over my whole life. And I danced all day on a Saturday, during the week, any spare moment, I was just always dancing. Um, I went to a full-time vocational school to do my GCSEs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I left there at 16 and went to a dance college from 16 till 19 to become a professional dancer. Um, worked in the industry a little bit and then kind of decided that as much as I loved it, it kind of wasn't for me as a career. Um, and then kind of that's where the Instagram took over really. Mm. And how was it like growing up through dance? Because as a young girl, obviously you're, it feels like they're kind of, I mean, and a lot of hobbies are kind of, they turn into a kind of pressured environment. Mm -hmm. Like how was that growing up from such a young age up until, when did you stop? Well, Um, officially, unofficially stop, should I say? Probably two, two or three years ago. So that's, you know, most of your life so good like 75 percent of your life probably 80 percent even it's like what was the kind of growth of you and the kind of pressures that you felt through that um do you know what it's funny so from my parents side of things I never had pushy parents Mm. like you know you you see like stage mums and all of that kind of stuff and my parents were always just like oh my god you're good at dancing go do it for fun like do it because you love it and they were always kind of turning to it at that kind of point of view and it wasn't until I started going to open auditions for musicals and things like that when I was younger that I realized that it was a high pressure environment so I remember I was down to the finals for Billy Elliot when I was about 11 I think Mm. um and I remember speaking to a girl and we were just having a great chat in the changing room and when we came out her mum was like you're not here to make friends and I was like okay wow that's how this industry is and that was almost like the first taster at how high pressure the environment is and then I think when I moved because I moved in year nine to go from a normal school to a dance school a musical theatre school and um I went from being in a year of about 100 people that all wanted to do different things like science or maths or whatever to going to a school of 20 people in a year wow and all of them thought they were going to be on the west end stage so I thought okay I don't need academics my talent's going to get me through life And the only way that I was allowed to go to that school was if my academics didn't slip. So my parents were constantly making sure that I was doing all my homework. And like, I was such a geek at this school because everyone just wanted to dance and sing. And I was there like, I'm going to go to extra maths tonight. Um, And I think there I started to really feel the pressure because you're not just training as a dancer. You're fighting against your closest friends at the time for parts in the end of year show and things like this. Um, and I started to put a lot of pressure on myself, be it with my talent or my appearance. Um, and then, yeah, it kind of just didn't get easier as you step into the more professional mm. environment. It just kind of intensifies. And I think that is one of the main reasons why I decided that career path wasn't for me. Yeah. And what was it like dealing with them with that kind of intense kind of, I guess, competition between, like you said, you and friends? Um, well, it's also, it was such a weird time for me. So I was like 14, 15, which is obviously when girls start to go through the change of becoming a woman and all of this kind of stuff. And I was such a late bloomer. So all my friends were getting boobs and all of that kind of thing. And I was just a bean pole, like an absolute bean sprout. And I was always the scrawny, skinny one. I was still like 
four foot one or whatever I just hadn't grown and it was hard kind of adapting to the pressures of changing school whilst also adapting to that change and I think that's where my issues with food started mm-hmm. um so I actually had an eating disorder okay. from the age of about 14 15 until I was about 19 on and off and I genuinely think that is because I was putting so much pressure on myself to do well in my academics to do well in my vocationals and then I was like okay well since I can't control anything about my body changing um I'm just going to become the skinniest version of myself um and started to control all of, all of my calories and food and all of that kind of thing mm. so I don't think I dealt with the pressures of that environment very well mm. and is that what so what in terms of eating disorder what was it specifically that you were suffering from so I started with just restricting my food and calories and things like that um so it was a combination of anorexia that then led to bulimia so I was on and off bulimic for about four and a half five years wow and that's again like you said you're going through such a change in yourself at that time and it's like there is a lot of pressure in that environment Mm. and you know it's it's quite easy to see how that can even come about so like what's the kind of not help but like teachings within is there teachings within a school environment like that which is so specific to one thing and is so high pressured in terms of like not just the mental health side of things but like the the downfalls that it can have being in such a pressurized environment for such a long period of time um I think it's hard because obviously the teachers always want the best for you and things like that and I don't know how people can combat it in schools I just know for me that it was like a personal thing and not many of my friends went through it but I think specifically in a dance environment you're not just conscious about getting good grades you're constantly in dance attire which is usually just literally leotard and tights you're in front of a mirror Mm. next to your friends that you're going to constantly compare yourself to them and I think that is kind of what sparked me and kind of led me to the eating disorder yeah and was it something that you were kind of suffering alone with or were like teachers and friends aware of it as well? Um, it's a bit of a difficult one. So I, I kind of suffered alone for a while and then I told two friends on separate occasions that I was kind of, because it kind of consumed me a bit. When I started making myself sick, it was only once or twice a day and it was just when I thought that I'd like overate or if I just felt under a lot of pressure but then it was becoming after every meal and then it was becoming whenever I felt stressed and then it was becoming whenever I felt fat and then it was becoming like literally 10 to 15 times a day and then I started to panic a little bit because my energy levels were low I just couldn't really concentrate it was coming up to my GCSEs so I kind of sat down with like I said two of my friends on separate occasions and I told them not to tell anyone and they were both obviously worried about me so they spoke to each other and then came to the conclusion that I was actually making it all up and I was attention seeking so then I kind of shut down and was like okay whoa am I attention seeking is this real it was just a a bit of a weird time um and then I kind of felt almost like I couldn't tell anyone because they weren't going to believe me um so then these friends kind of took a step back from me and I think I just decided that I was such a negative person Mm. to be around. I kind of took a lot of time by myself. Like I remember going into assembly in the morning, sitting by myself, reading a book, not talking to anyone, not really wanting to speak to anyone. And 
one of my other friends told their mum that they were like a little bit worried about me and then their mum passed on the information to my mum who then obviously had no idea how to react she'd never gone through an eating disorder before she'd never known anyone to so then went extreme and started watching everything I was doing yeah. asking me how many times I'd made myself sick and all of this kind of thing and that pressure kind of added to it a little bit more because then I felt like I had to try harder to hide my little secret mm. so that kind of whole experience was quite difficult yeah and what what was like the hardest kind of moment you experienced during that period of time um well after that after that kind of time I wouldn't say that was when I got really bad like that was kind of the start of it mm -hmm. I then changed schools everyone from my friendship group kind of stayed on at that school to do their college so 16 to 19 and I decided to move I was like I need to remove myself from this environment I didn't I wasn't super close with anyone when I left and I just decided I needed a kind of a fresh start and then I changed schools and that's when I kind of recovered a little bit because I was like okay cool fresh start no pressure mm -hmm. let's go into this and I was fine for a year and then in my second year I was put into a purely dance track. So all of the best dancers in the year were put together in one form. Mm -hmm. And we kind of basically followed the same timetable. And I put so much pressure on myself because I was like, I'm in a class with the best dancers in the year. I feel inferior. I don't feel good enough. And so again, started to control my eating and then started to make myself sick. And then this is when I got really bad because after everything I ate, I'd always be sick I'd leave a class in an hour and a half class I'd leave two or three times to be sick and it was just getting out of hand and my hair started to fall out I started to pass out mm. have panic attacks I constantly looked like I had black eyeshadow mm -hmm. underneath my eyes and I got really frail and I think it was around this time that I was like okay wow this is this is a really low point and my tap teacher who was my favorite teacher um took me to my head of year who took me to my headmistress and she basically said look we need you to recover and if if you don't we're gonna have to ask you to leave so that you can get full-time yeah. treatment and I was like okay wow like I've trained my whole life to be at this college this is my dream college I don't really want to waste it so she said look you need to tell your mum that you're struggling by the end of half term um and if you don't then I'm gonna have to tell her so I was like okay wow I better tell my mum because I don't want it to come from someone else. Mm. So I did. Um, I just sat her down and just told her everything and we both cried. And then she took me to the GP. And then that's kind of where my recovery started. Yeah, which is great. And it's like, even just hearing this, I can feel like my heart like racing and feeling like emotional because it's, it's something that's quite close to me in the sense that an ex-girlfriend of mine, while we were together, was recovering from an eating disorder. So a lot of the stuff that you're kind of talking about brings back a lot of memories of like seeing what she was dealing with mm. and you know me not really knowing much about it trying to offer help and try, you know trying to put myself I guess in your friends and family's kind of shoes and them trying to offer the best for you but not really and also like treading they feeling like they shouldn't bit on yeah. ice they don't want to like you know if you're having a good day they don't want to like tip you one way or if you're having a bad day they don't quite know how to get you back on the right track and it's it's a very very tough thing because even when you do speak to people about it and you do open up about it and you I don't know whether you went to therapy or you know you obviously had your your mum and your friends and stuff as a support network but it can still be quite a hard challenge and how much of that challenge is you know obviously the, the eating disorder is a physical thing that you're doing but how much of that challenge is mental um 
I think for so long, I didn't think I was doing anything wrong because it had just become the norm to me. It became mm. habit that I just didn't think there was anything wrong with me and that it was just thoughts that every person goes through. And it wasn't until I actually had therapy. So I actually had treatment at the Maudsley Hospital for about two years. And for so long, I'd sit with my therapist and I'd have nothing to say because I was like, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm not poorly. Mm. This is just what life is kind of thing. And I remember being in a waiting room waiting to see my angel is what I called her mm. and um, a woman came in who was maybe in her 40s and she was half my size all of her hair had fallen out her teeth were like crumbled away she was skin and bone and I literally felt like I was looking into my future wow. and that almost knocked my mental state into reality and was like this could be you and so I think from then it was the mental state that I was in. I had to be in the right mindset to be like, okay, I'm ready to recover now. Like I don't want this anymore. And I think it was mostly the the mental battle that mm -hmm. I found the hardest. Yeah. And how did you then start to kind of overcome that once you did get through the therapy and once you did have that kind of ultimatum from the school, which was obviously they were doing it in your best interest. Yeah. It wasn't like, we're going to kick you out. It yeah. was like, we want you to, to recover and become like the best version of you again. So what, what steps did you go through in terms of your recovery and how long was that road? Um, so I think my mum took me to the GP around December time and I was really lucky. So I had a little one-to-one -one with my GP and I don't know what I said, but it must have been quite serious. So I actually have a lot of blanks in my memory from mm. around that time and I think it's down to being malnourished. And the, my GP rushed me through every system possible and got me straight into the Maudsley. Um, and I was having treatment by January, February. So I got really, really, really lucky. And my therapist took me through like so much treatment. I saw her once a week for about a year and a half and then once every month for about six months. And just, she kind of encouraged me with different methods and all of that kind of stuff. And she encouraged me to keep a food diary. And I found it really hard to write it down. So I started mm. taking pictures and that's kind of where Healthy Chef Steph was born because I started a whole new Instagram account to keep it all in one place. And I started to fall in love with food. So I wasn't scared of it anymore. I didn't see it as the enemy. It didn't stress me out. It wasn't my every thought. It was more like, okay, now I know that I need this, for, uh, this food to fuel me. How can I make it exciting? How can I make it enjoyable? How can I make it look nice? Mm -hmm. And I think through finding other passions rather than, my whole focus being on oh how can I make myself skinnier I started to fall in love with food again and started to fall in love with myself again and give myself that energy that I needed rather than filling it and fueling it with negative thoughts yeah and when you look back now at that kind of version of you you know what would you say you're like 14 15 at the time yeah what kind of feelings and what emotions does that bring up when you look back you know it doesn't necessarily have to be like a bad feeling or it could be you know a positive thing or whatever but like when you reflect back on it, or like, what's the kind of feeling that you get inside? It's so weird. So obviously that was quite a long time in my life that I was struggling with it, but I'm so far removed from that person now mm. that I don't even recognize that person. Like the, the headspace I was in, the, the lying, the hiding, all of that kind of stuff. It's just not, not me. Like I just mm. look back at that person and I just see this vulnerable terrified little girl mm. even if I was 19 when I was just coming out the other end of it I still feel like I'm a totally totally different person yeah. I think I think what you said then in the two words you use vulnerable and terrified are exactly 
not exactly those words, but words that I remember my ex would kind of talk about, you know, she probably still would if she, you know, spoke about it in terms of like how she described herself. And it's like, it is quite amazing how those are the two words that kind of, it's not, you know, I don't know, like a worry or doubt. It's more, it's like deeper feelings of yeah. just being scared of like, I don't know, like letting people know or talking about it or like admitting it or yeah. there's that ultimate kind of fear of something. And I find that just super like, I don't know. I don't know what the word is really. Like just, it's just it's a bit mad. Like how that, those things can consume you like that. Yeah. Um, but if you were to, to give yourself some advice back then, what would you have said to yourself? If you could speak to that 14 um, year old now. I think I would just tell them to be kinder to themselves and to filter their internal monologue more. So obviously the thoughts we have in our head, only we can hear, mm -hmm. but they're constant throughout the entire day. And I would just tell myself to become more aware of them. And when a negative thought drops in, recognize it as a negative thought rather than it being Bible mm. and being like, okay, that wasn't a very nice thought. What's the truth? What's the fact? Yeah. So when I, if say I looked at myself in the mirror and was like, oh my God, I look ridiculously overweight. I'm the fattest person in this room. Um, everyone's looking at me because I'm fat, blah, 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 blah. Just kind of stopping that thought and being like, okay, is this the truth? Or is this me fabricating something? And how can I change it into a positive one almost? Yeah. And it's like challenging it, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah. And what I love about kind of your journey is like when I, like I said, when I discovered you and your, your page and your content, it's like, I, I started following you because I saw someone who was like really positive and doing like great things and like had this amazing kind of like thing that you were kind of clearly building and doing. And then when I found out about this backstory, I think you you must have mentioned it in like a, something on Instagram, but I can't remember. I was like, whoa, I was like almost blown back by how far you'd come. Do you know what I mean? And it's like seeing how someone can go from what is such a terrified position into something that is now such a positive space and is inspiring other young girls I mean even older girls and girls of the same age and you know to to do great things for themselves and I think that is a big testament to you yourself but also the way you want to represent yourself out there and I feel like and it's a pleasure but it's like for you then what what you said you started up your page to kind of document your eating habits mm. but why did you decide to go into an online space to do that you know obviously particularly Instagram yeah um well I started sharing um all of my photos on my personal account at the yeah. time which I don't use anymore and all my friends were like why don't you post a selfie like a normal 16 17 year old why are you posting avocado on toast and all of this kind of stuff um so I was like okay fine I'll, I'll set up my own separate account so I did and I kept on private didn't tell anyone about it and it wasn't until I got to about 99 followers and I was like oh my god I want 100 yeah so I ran into my school canteen and I grabbed my friend Ryan and I was like can you follow me told him about the page why I started it and he was like Steph if you're going to do this why don't you share your journey share your story show your face and I was like yeah okay maybe so I thought about it for a couple of months and then I was like fuck it I'm just going to do it. Yeah, so yeah. I posted myself, introduced myself, started posting workout videos and all of that kind of stuff. And people seemed to like it. And then I kind of used it as an online diary. So 
if ever I felt bad, I'd use it to write a caption to hopefully inspire other people. And then people's comments would then make me feel like I'd helped them. And then I was like, oh my God, this is such a positive thing. And I think because there was a forum, a platform called Tumblr at the time, yeah. which was very pro-eating disorder, pro-bulimia, yeah, really. pro-anorexia. And I wanted to be the polar opposite to that. I was like, what if I could be a page that people come to to get inspiration from and to, to feel better about themselves rather than worse? Mm. And kind of that's where it all began. Um, so I, I saw it as such a positive thing. And I know social media now gets such a negative press, but I see it as the total opposite. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, especially for someone like you, you've made almost a career and are making a career out of it. And I feel like there are so many people who do so many amazing powerful impactful things through social media it's like it it doesn't say outweighs but it balances out which is probably a really horrible way to say it but it does balance out the negativity because there is negative stuff that happens on it as well but and there are you know negative connotations to the way people you know digest things through, through social media and it's like but there is a lot of people out there who are doing really powerful inspiring things and and putting good out into the world which is you know again why I started doing what I, I'm doing with the podcast is like I wanted people to see my name or dreamers disease and straight away associate it with positivity that yeah. that was the that was the main thing and it was like how I did that I didn't know it could be a quote it could be a video it could be you know something cool that I'd seen and I shared or whatever and I just wanted that to create that positive space because I'd been through my own you know battles of like depression and heavy anxiety and a lot of that coming through the stuff that you're taking on through social media as well as the you know general society so like for me it was super important to create a space that Mm -hmm. wasn't just representing me because I'm quite a positive person and that's the first thing that everyone says to me is like oh you're always so positive but it's like inside I didn't feel it at times so I wanted to create a space where it's like the positivity was there for people to kind of take on for themselves and it's like it can be like um uh, like what's the word I'm looking for it's like catchy, you know, mm. like you can catch the positive energy as well as you can catch negative energy. So I wanted to like create that. And I think like, you know, obviously your whole journey has been growing a platform and a community around what you do. But the, there's still times where I know that you kind of have to get that balance right. And I remember you wrote a post probably a couple months ago, a month ago now about struggling to get the balance right. And mm. you took some time away from social media. Yeah what caused that for you in terms of like what made you get to that point to go actually I need to take a bit of a break here because you know you're the bad side of what you do is you are almost um not controlled but like the algorithms and stuff play a big part in Mm. how your content gets out there right so to take a week out is can be quite detrimental to your business side of things Mm. but obviously you have to put yourself and your health in front of that so what how did you get to that point where you decided actually a week off is what I need to do well I think I've been doing this now for like four and a half years um I've seen so many changes on Instagram um and kind of learnt kind of how do I explain it I've just kind of see it seen it grow and evolve and all of these different algorithm changes and all mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff um and I'd never taken a break in the yeah. four and a half years that I'd been doing it, I'd never had like a full time, I'd have days where I didn't post, but I'd never had like an actual delete the app of your phone and just let let yourself be in the moment. And I think for a reason, like a lot of people call me narcissistic because all I talk about is myself or 
um, think that I have this massive ego because I can share my life online. But it's more so like if my post, even if it's just a workout video, if that actually helps one person, motivates them to go to the gym or I write about my eating disorder history and it makes someone feel that they're not alone so they can go to their GP and and make a change in their life, then I've done something right. Mm -hmm. So I constantly felt like, okay, I need to give, give, give. I need to give out to all of these people and I'm going to help so many people and that's all I want to do. And in my heart, I knew that my intentions were always pure. Um, but then there's external factors. So there's people can make fake accounts and send horrible things to you. People can comment nasty things and make you question yourself. And sometimes if I'm having a negative thought or a negative day and then someone says something negative, I then believe it because I'm like, mm. oh my God, I was already feeling that way. They've seen that. It must be that true. reinforces it in a and, way. Yeah. And it started to make me question things and obviously now there's the rise of the influencers and there's so many people in this space now which is amazing like especially for women who are now creating businesses and platforms for themselves to shout about the things that we've wanted to talk about for so long um i think it's amazing but also conflicting messages so something that i say i know that i'm not i'm not right i'm not always right and my message isn't going to kind of resonate with everyone but when there's a lot of people that maybe shout louder than I do about their message mm. I'm almost like oh is mine less worthy now and you do question yourself and it kind of got to the point where I was like I started this page for such a positive thing and now I'm almost questioning everything I post is it going to be um because there's this call out culture at the moment where yeah. people call you out or like say something in their posts that um, undercut what you're saying and I was like is this going to affect other influencers is this is this going to make someone feel a certain way about themselves and all of this kind of stuff and I was like I need to take a step back and figure out who the hell I am and what the hell I want to do and, yeah. and what I want to shout about and it kind of got to the point where I'd kind of poured everything out and needed to refill my own cup so yeah. I decided to take a whole week off and not work and switch my phone off and it was pure bliss. I spent time with friends and family. I spent time with my boyfriend. I didn't touch my phone. I think I charged it once in the mm. week I was away. And it made me remember what was important and what my messaging was and why why I started. Mm. And I think that was the most important thing, like re-remembering the why. Mm. And then when I came back, I felt refreshed, recharged and ready to help people again because I don't think I really was before in the couple months building up to it. Yeah. And what what were the specific lessons then that you learned? Like you said, you, you rediscovered your why. What were those things that you rediscovered? Um, I think I remembered, this was kind of when I decided I wanted to change my name. I was like, okay, I've grown up now. It's been four and a half years. Yes, I still want to share food, but it doesn't define me anymore. I want to speak more about relationships, workouts, things I'm passionate about, current events, lifestyle things, and also speak about mental health, mindfulness, maybe even a bit more about spirituality. I was also terrified to speak about my beliefs on veganism and sustainability because mm. I was like, I never want to be that preachy person. Mm. I want to share my knowledge um, and information that I have, but without jamming it down people's throats. Like I want to just let them know the facts and then let them make their own minds up from there. So I stepped away and coming back on I just felt like I had a clean slate to just start fresh. Yeah, sick. And I I wrote something down because I got a, a tendency to butcher things that people say or write. And I can't remember if I saw this in um, an Instagram post or on one of your videos, but you said something of, if I can't help myself, how can I help other people? Because you were going through that, 
that exact phase and I think you know a lot of of what you do is is helping people in terms of like the posting that you're doing you're replying to people you're offering advice you're offering bits of this bits of that and like what are what are the pressures then that come with that in terms of feeling the needs because I take it you're someone who kind of replies to as many people as possible so yeah what are the pressures that that come with that like feeling like you want to help and like offer what you can to as many people as possible at all the time well I think for me since I very very started was to reply to people so I remember I'd just gone through like a breakup where a guy had cheated on me and then I went to a Kalani concert (laughs) and I messaged her afterwards and the only reason I went was because I had the tickets and I had to meet my friends to give them it so I was like I'm just gonna go and I felt like she just spoke to me the whole time. So I sent her a message afterwards and it was literally like an essay of me being an absolute soppy mess. I never in a million years thought she'd see it. Yeah. But I just, which is ridiculous because obviously I sent it to her. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I just kind of sent it and I felt so good for sending it. And then she replied and I was like, you're joking. Like Kalani just read that message, Amazing. gave me advice. And I, I'm not saying I'm anywhere near her level or whatever I'm not a celebrity or anything like that but I was like wow in my time of need one of my inspirations replied to me and gave me advice so I was like I'm gonna reply to anyone that I can and now I think a pressure I get is someone will send me a really long essay about how they're struggling with their mental health and I don't have any qualifications in psychiatry or Mm. psychology or anything like that so I would hate to say the wrong thing and to make their situation worse. So I have to be really careful with which messages I reply to and how I reply to them. Because if, for example, I said the wrong thing and made them worse, I I just couldn't live with myself. So I think it's that pressure of making sure I do the right thing. And then also once you reply to someone once, they then have access to get into your inbox on Instagram DM quite freely and quite easily. So then they become quite reliant on you. And it's Mm. kind of remembering don't get me wrong I don't think like just because I have a couple thousand followers on Instagram that I'm this untouchable person like I'm just literally walk out on the street no one knows who I am it's great and I can just be myself so I'm on on exactly the same level as anyone that messages me but just when they're in their time of need and see me as almost their only support it is a little bit challenging because I'm like okay I want to be there for you but I'm not your family I'm Mm. not your therapist and I, I can't I can't be that support blanket for you. And like what, for example, if I don't have Wi-Fi for a day and I can't reply to your message, what's going to happen to you? Yeah. So it's almost that responsibility. So I'm always just the first port of call is, okay, have you spoken to your mom? Have you spoken to your dad? Have you spoken to someone close to you? Have you spoken to someone at work? And I kind of just pass that on to someone else that knows them better than I do that can offer more specific advice. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And I feel like, you know, that is you know the right way from your perspective in terms of how you can do it because you don't know the person necessarily personally mm. you know you may know them through the connections you have through messages and it's like on a, a lot smaller scale like I you know experience similar kind of messages where people reach out and they'll ask for advice or looking like seeking for help and it's you know it's very nice it's very nice for me to know that I'm someone that they are inspired enough by to want to reach out to like you and Kalani for, and you know, I've done it with, you know, Reggie Yates or whoever, you know, and it's like, it's nice to know that I can play that role in someone's life, but I can only do so much. And then I always try to like flip the message into something positive 
or like like what you said is try and like direct them to the people who can help directly yeah. um we mentioned like obviously you don't have any kind of qualifications in you know mental health or anything like that but is that something that you would potentially look into further down the line? Yeah, it's definitely something that I think about a lot, purely because now I'm hosting events and stuff, I like to speak to the girls face-to-face afterwards, and a lot of them want to tell me their history, and I'll stand and listen for as long as it takes for them to to speak about it, and I, I love that I can have that human, real-life connection. Mm. But I'm like, okay, you've just opened a lot of a lot of your past up to me and a lot of your deepest, darkest thoughts how can I help you in the best way possible? So I recently went on a mental health first aid course. Oh, amazing. Um, and it was a two day course, two full days. And it was crammed full of so much information about how I can guide them down the, the best route to get the best help from professionals. Mm-hmm. So right now I don't have the luxury of time to do a, a full course. It's something that I'm looking into doing in the future. Um, but at least for now, I can guide them the best way possible yep. to the right experts so that they get the best help and what were the key takeaways from that course oh my god I learned so much it was just about how to deal with the situation and it was almost like learning to identify the kind of cause or what they were struggling with and then almost filter through okay who do I refer them to and just knowing that the few steps has changed so much and like my mum's recently done it as well so she can do the same um and yeah it was just it was just amazing I learned a lot about my own mental state um and a lot of different mental health problems that I didn't actually know about so it was definitely really insightful and I recommend anyone to do it even if it's just for your friends and family yeah it was really really good yeah something that I've been interested in doing for not just for this you know similar reasons to you but just because generally it's an area that i'm very interested in yeah and hence you know why i have these kind of conversations on the podcast um but uh, one of the things i also noticed that you've done recently or i say noticed that you made a video about on youtube recently is that you've given up drinking alcohol yeah why was that so i mean i i started drinking quite early um Didn't i've been we all, drinking yeah fair. a bit of glenn's <laughs> vodka in a park like with my school Smirnoff friends ices. yeah and I think I've just always used it as a coping me- mechanism for situations where I felt uncomfortable or out of my depth. And it gave me this false sense of confidence. And I went through a breakup last year, had a bit of a wild time going out three or four times a week to the point where people thought I worked nights. And I was like, wow. nope, I'm just out a lot. And then when I met my boyfriend, his his job's a rugby player so after a game everyone goes out for drinks and I think I'm one of the lads and can keep up with the big boys and I just end up being I, I never got to a point where I'd like embarrass myself and be a mess obviously there's been times when I have yeah. but it got to the point where it was the next day that I was really suffering so my heart would race for the entire day and I'd get this like anxiety, and I'd question everything I did the night before and I just literally it would take me days and days to recover So I was like, okay, I'm not going to drink for a while and see how I feel. So I went away for three weeks um, to Bali with my boyfriend on his off season. And in any situation where I would have had a cocktail or had a drink, I just had a fresh coconut. And I was like, I feel great for not drinking. I've not had anxiety once. I've not had that horrible feeling. I've not felt that loss of control or Mm. anything like that. So I was like, do you know what? I'm going to see how long I can do this for. So then I came back and then I went on a family holiday to Portugal and I had one night out when I had a few drinks and then we don't know for sure but I believe that I was spiked and 
it was just a, a very, I don't remember a thing, but apparently my jaw was swinging. I was like completely he heavy, like a dead weight. And my boyfriend actually caught a pill as it was being dropped into his drink. Oh, really? So we think, Shit. we've come to the conclusion that someone spiked me, saw him watching me, spiked him. We didn't know what the outcome was going to be, but yeah. I was just like, okay, wow, I think that is my last sign. Like mm. This was my first time drinking back after a month and a half of feeling amazing. And I feel like this is a sign. So I've just decided right now for, it's not going to be forever. It might be forever. I'm feeling great, but mm. I'm now not relying on alcohol. So if I was in a situation where, say, for example, I was going to an event by myself, usually I'd get a, con a cocktail and be yep. like, okay, yeah, I'm fine. I'm going to be fun because I've had a, had a drink. <laughs> Whereas now I'm like, do you know what? As I am, like, as myself is fine. Yeah. If someone doesn't like me, that's fine. If someone does like me, that's fine too. And it kind of was just like being at peace with myself, knowing that I don't need that stimulant and all of that kind of stuff. And like, I went out for my brother's birthday last weekend and everyone went clubbing. I just had a black coffee before we went out to make sure I had enough energy. <laughs> had the buzz. <laughs> yeah, and I was dancing and lasted as long as everyone else, had as just amazing time as everyone else, but then didn't have that horrible anxiety feeling the next day. Yeah, I think it's what you, what you said about the kind of feeling great, but also the having the, the confidence and the being comfortable within yourself to mm -hmm. be able to not drink, to feel like you can fit in. Because yeah. like when I was, well, started drinking, I was too young. Yeah. But when we got to the age where it was like legal drinking age, I'd actually decided that I wasn't, I never, I never used to drink. I used to go to a pub and I wouldn't even buy a lemonade. I just literally wouldn't buy a drink. I just wouldn't, wouldn't drink. I, wherever we went, I wouldn't drink. I would drive. And I was more than happy to do that. I could go clubbing. I could do everything. Then as I started to kind of get older and, you know, drink a little bit more, it wasn't like a heavy drink. I never, I never have been to be fair, but I started to fall into the trap of like, yeah, I want to go out and get smashed. And, yeah. and, and I noticed that those, those times were coming when I felt the lowest and had the lowest confidence and self-esteem mm -hmm. within myself. And that was almost like a way to put on this mask of like, yeah, I'm having so much yeah. fun. Look at me. And, you know, fast forward now, I, you know, I still now I don't really drink a lot. Like I'll go out and I, I'll drink. And, you know, I'm fortunate that I can handle drink if it is a big like drinks night or like it's a boys night out. And, you know, it doesn't affect me too badly apart from like the next day. But the hardest part when is when I do go out and I don't want to drink and I've decided I don't want to drink. It's dealing with the other people who... Yeah expect you to drink and almost point fingers at you and almost like not take the piss but like they can't see it from your point of view they can't mm -hmm. understand why you won't want to drink and i've got i've i've kind of got like an ongoing joke with one of my friends where he's like oh whenever you come out you don't drink because of like a couple of times it was his birthday and i just there were just the nights i decided i didn't fancy drinking it might have been because of i just didn't fancy or it could have been that i was feeling a bit you know overly anxious and i thought mm -hmm. this isn't going to benefit me tomorrow um so how how have you kind of found those situations where you've gone out with friends or with family at dinner and everyone's having a drink and there's that kind of almost weird like non-verbal pressure of mm -hmm. like you have to be drinking as well like how have you found those situations well I've, I've kind of felt it in myself as well so I was like okay like it, it the first few times it's a bit like when you go out with friends that you always have dinner with and you always share a bottle of wine just being the one that's like oh I'm not actually drinking the first thing is like oh, are you pregnant and I'm like no <laughs> I actually just don't want to drink so I think that's why I want to talk about it online more because the society we're in and, and the age I kind of am 
it's the norm to go out and get smashed and and maybe even just have a few cocktails with friends and I think I've just got to the point where I don't care mm. so anyone I, I had it with the veganism like anyone says anything like oh just have a sausage oh just have a drink I'm like I'm fine like yeah. I'm still the same person I have the same love for you and whatever but I just I'm not gonna have that and it's got to the point now where people have just accepted it because I've not given them any reason other than to not to so now if we go out and have a meal and my friends order a cocktail I'll just order a mocktail it still comes in a fancy glass anyone else looking over will still think I'm drinking and it's like I'm at peace with it and because I speak in that very like matter of a fact way yeah I won't give in to the peer pressure of it yeah um, and there's been a few times when I kind of question it and I'm like oh should I just have one and then I'm just like no like this is a choice that I've consciously made for myself and for my own mental state, I'm going to stick with it. And anyone that's got a problem with that is their issue, not mine. Yeah. And I think there is a lot of pressure to, to drink and not everyone enjoys it. I know people that have amazing stamina that will bounce back the next day and be ready to go again. Mm. But I have other people that will literally be knocked out for a week and a half. Yeah. Um, I think it is just down to personal preference. And I think if you are considering cutting back on alcohol like don't let anyone's opinion or talk put you off that yeah it's funny how you say um you you said that there's certain times where you kind of question it and whatever because i i've got this i've got this really weird thing where if i'm like at a wedding for example yeah. i've been to like three weddings this this year um like the drink that i'll go to if i don't if i want to drink but i don't want to drink is a g&t yeah. because I don't really like the taste of it and it sounds so backwards but because I don't like the taste of it you won't drink it quick I just won't drink it quick <laughs> and I drink it a lot slower and I kind of like hold off on getting another one but I'll like force myself to drink it and it's like I I, I put myself in those situations like it's almost like a challenge to myself in a way kind yeah. of like a weird little thing that I do so like if people like know that I'm drinking G&T like my mates know now like that they know what the vibe's gonna be that it's, yeah. I'm just I'm having my G&T and I'm chilling and um, which is quite funny you, you've mentioned a few times as well how, you know, you went to Bali, you've been to Portugal, um, you've done quite a bit of traveling um, recently. You were mm -hmm. in, was it Thailand earlier this year? Yeah. Um, this is just me being fanboy moment now, just trying <laughs> to remember every place I've seen you at. Um, you recently went to somewhere and climbed a mountain. I can't remember where yeah, that was. Slovakia. Slovakia, yeah, yeah. that was the one. So traveling is obviously a big passion of yours. What is it that you enjoy so much about traveling? Um, I think it's because when I was growing up, I didn't travel that much. Um, my mum's got a really, really intense fear of flying. So we always really? went somewhere local and we kind of went to Portugal every year, um, every summer to the same place because my mum felt safe to do that. So the moment that I have been offered this amazing platform and experiences to go on amazing trips for work I'll call it but yeah. um I kind of just ran with it and it's more so being in a different country learning about different cultures being surrounded by nature that I'm not usually around just realizing how big the world is and how small we are as people and it just takes you away from your reality for a little while and it just almost you get stuck like I find myself getting stuck in ruts sometimes and making problems in my head that probably don't exist and then the moment I go traveling and I get out in nature or I see something new, I'm like, okay, wow, perspective. And it just gives me a whole new love and adoration for the life that I've been given. Yeah. Um, 
And I mean, I get a lot of hate because it literally looks like I'm on a holiday the whole time. But right now I'm just going to say yes to every experience that comes my way because I'm like, I want to see this world before it all goes to shit. Do you know what I mean? And I just kind of want to explore and adventure and and learn new things about myself and other people and how other people see the world. I just see so much beauty in that. Yeah. And would you find about traveling in terms of like allowing yourself to come out of day-to-day living in a way? Yeah. What is it do you feel about traveling that allows you to kind of experience that side of life? I think it's just seeing local people that have polar opposite different, like polar opposite lives to us like living in London especially being in that high pressure environment where no one looks at each other on the tube no one talks to each other in the street and then you go to a little quaint village in wherever Mm. and everyone's friendly and everyone's welcoming and everyone's smiley and and they're so much happier in themselves I'm like wow this is this is the life I want this is the mindset I want to be in I don't want to be in this huffy high pressure if someone touches me by accident I'm gonna go on the tube do you know what I mean it's just getting that sense of I can't explain it but it just your mindset shifts and I know like people go on holiday once a year or whatever and and to relax and even if I'm on a hiking holiday where I'm hiking for eight hours I still relax because I'm taking in and absorbing everything around me and realizing that the situation I'm in at home or or whatever's going on at home is just a moment and it's it's something that will move and keep flowing and and you'll flow past that if Mm. that makes sense yeah and how do you bring that clarity into your life then like day to day um I think I always hit a reset button when I go away and kind of remember what's important and yeah I lose that it's it's life like life takes over but it just takes a moment to think about the experiences I've had look back at pictures and it takes you back to that mindset and and just remembering that the world is so big and the situation you're in is so small. Yeah. Oh, and one of the things that I noticed is you went on a little trip recently and you kind of had a bit of a spiritual awakening um, through your friend, I can't remember who you said it was, but Molly, that was right. And you were saying that she introduced you to um, Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. Mm -hmm. Have you read it yet? I've not finished it yet, no. But are you reading it? Yeah, I've literally just started it. What do you think of it? Um, I listened to a lot of the podcasts as well with Molly at the time it's quite a hard intense read um, but I like that trip to me was so special so we just had a little staycation in the UK and the things we talked about were so wholesome like I find sometimes you meet up with people and all they want to do is gossip about other Mm. people and, and it's very much like that small town mindset whereas Molly is just a great human like if you don't follow her where's Molly she's so refreshing to follow um and she just has such a beautiful outlook on life and I don't know if that's come from the teachings of Eckhart Tolle or just through situations she's lived through but I actually found it more fascinating hearing her thoughts on the book than actually reading the book um so just hearing what she took from it so now whilst I'm reading it I'm remembering what she said and it's just like you said this awakening and I don't want to sound all spiritual and woo and whatever but I do believe in like the energy and and around people and what I love about his podcast with Oprah is he's just like look if you don't believe what I have to say that's fine yeah but I'm just gonna tell it anyway because it's what I'm passionate about (laughs) it is how it is take it or leave it kind of thing and he's just so chilled and to the point and I love it 
Yeah, and I think like so that that's one of the books that kind of so I I can get quite deep on the spiritual thing by the way. So that's one of the books that I took a lot from and there's I mean there's been loads of others, but what I love about that book is like the way he does talk about like the exchange of energy and mm-hmm. the kind of en- the energies in the world that exist that we don't even necessarily know are there or not that we don't know that there's like we don't necessarily recognize that we're experiencing them because mm-hmm. you know an example is like any electrical device has an ele- electronic field around it which we can't feel it we can't see it but it's there yeah. and the same thing happens with energy it's like there's so much f- flow of energy from plants from you know everything in life that is created around us that we experience and we take that energy on without realizing it and that can really have a big kind of effect on us without us realizing and if we don't understand how to harness that and turn Mm -hmm. it into an energy that we can output it can sit within us and 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 churn and a lot of like kind of stuff that i've really experienced recently through like things like meditation and you know regular exercise and all those sorts of things is like taking that energy and and recognizing it and trying to like put it out there again and like or trying to like channel it into someone else or into something else Mm. and i think the more we kind of recognize those things and the more we recognize how everything is temporary everything that we live like this moment that we're having now is the only moment we experience like the start of the podcast no longer exists that was a temporary moment when i started this sentence it was a temporary moment so it's like the more we can experience those moments and live kind of more presently and day-to-day and moment to moment the better value you put into your life and in one of the books i've been reading recently there was um so called tribe of mentors and it's kind of like lots of amazing advice from lots of amazing people essentially and um there's there's one person in it where he says don't worry about the long term don't worry about what you're going to be doing in five years 10 years whatever worry about how you're going to be amazing in the next five minutes mm. because those five minutes are the five minutes that you're currently living so if you can put your amazing into those five minutes, then the next five minutes you put the amazing into those and the next and then everything else kind of clicks into gear. And it's stuff like that really resonates with me and more so the more I kind of understand and the more I read. Um, so when I heard that you were, you were getting involved in a bit of Eckhart Tolle and A New Earth, I was like, yes, because that's <laughs> so like, so my vibe. And I've got some other books I'll recommend you after yeah, if you definitely want to go you. like down that route because there's some oh God, amazing definitely. stuff out there. That's super amazing stuff. I think it's just from reading stuff like that, whether or not you believe it or you think it's woo or whatever, I think it makes you question yourself and become more self-aware. And since reading things like that or talking to certain people, it's made me so aware of, especially who's in my circle and who I hang around with because don't they say like you're a reflection of the five people around you or something? Yeah, you're some of the, you're an average sum of the five people that yeah. you spend most time with. Yeah. And I, I feel like sometimes you spend time with people and they can really drain your energy and you leave and you're like, wow, I don't feel good right now. Yeah. And if you're not aware of that, then you'll let that feeling go into the rest of your day. Same as if you spend time with someone that's so vibrant and you leave and you're like, I feel amazing. Mm. And it's good to be self-aware. So then you know that, okay, energy does exist and if I can get that energy from someone else I can create it for myself so if I want to sit here and mope that energy is just gonna yeah escalate but if I want to sit here be productive be happy in myself then that's gonna multiply too yeah. um so yeah it's I, th- I think definitely from reading books like that learning things there's certain things that maybe I don't believe but I'm still like okay cool I love th- I appreciate that someone else believes that yeah and how have you now kind of with that understanding 
what ways have you found to channel that energy for yourself? Um, I think I've learned like day-to-day habits. So I'm sure you can relate that obviously mindfulness is an ongoing thing and an ongoing practice that you need to work on. It's not like you're one day going to wake up and be like, oh, cool, I'm spiritual now. I'm great for the rest of my life. Like it's a constant, just like eating healthily or exercising often and things like that. I think because I've been in such a dark place, like I hit my rock bottom quite early on in my life. I now have had to build myself up from there to, to get where I am today. And now it's just maintenance. So it's kind of like I've done the hard work now. I'm now educating myself further and I'm using all of my teach, um, all of what I've learned to kind of implement into my day to day life so that it's literally you're just topping up the cup every day rather than mm. draining it all and then being like, oh, my God, where do I go from here? So from like I said, what I've learned from people, books, podcasts, whatever. Um, now I'm like, okay, I have my bulletproof plan. So it's just the same as like every day it's habit for you to clean your teeth before you go to bed or take your makeup off at the end of the day. It's also doing these little mindfulness exercises that are my go-tos that work for me and that, that make me yeah. happy and, and not even necessarily happy, but at peace with myself yeah. because it's silly to think you're going to be ecstatically happy every day. And I think that's a problem with social media that that portrays that, but yeah, just more so being at peace with yourself. Yeah. And I think one of the big things for me when I started my kind of journey was like, and it's it's something that I talk about a lot is like doing the little 1% every day. And Mm -hmm. I think you summed up well with saying like every day you're just topping up that cup a little bit Mm -hmm. and you're not waiting to pour it all out to then refill it. You're kind of just putting that little 1% in every Mm -hmm. day. And it's like, people you know will look at it like oh my god how do I fit in exercise and mindfulness and meditation and reading and all these things into the day but it's like if you look at it like that it can be really overwhelming but if you go actually I'm going to set aside five minutes of my day to do some meditation that's your one percent and that's all you need if you can do that every day like you're going to ultimately feel the benefits over a longer period of time Mm -hmm. every day every moment that you do it and it and that that feeling and that energy is just going to cultivate and get stronger and grow and become something better for you Mm -hmm. and it's like and it's ultimately going to bring more clarity and peacefulness to your or being at peace within yourself to your life and I think that's really powerful and that's why it's like that's why I can get so I can get so lost in those conversations like literally me and my friend had an hour-long conversation the other day and we were literally just going back and forth on exactly that and it's and then the amazing thing about it was I said to him halfway through the conversation I said niche do you know if we had this conversation a year ago, you would have been saying to me like, what on earth are you talking about? Yeah. And I said, I love the fact that you are now in that space where you're accepting of these conversations and able to kind of channel these things for yourself without me prodding you about it. Mm-hmm. And it was like, that was a powerful moment for me. I think it's true though. I think sometimes as hard as it is, people have to suffer trauma to see light. Like you have to go through those dark patches um to to see light and to come into that that mindset and and it's almost like say for example you're like a flat piece of grass that's your life Mm -hmm. someone digs a hole in you and you feel like it's the end of the world and your perfect lawn is ruined but then someone will come along fill it with soil and plant a flower and something new will grow yeah and I think that's the same with mindset like all of these challenges that we face lead to so many positives and and to so many different paths that you never would have gone down and I think it's so special 
and I'm almost grateful for all of the dark times in my life because they've led to so many beautiful things. Yeah, and they've, they've made you into what you are. And it's like, have you heard of that Japanese practice where when when like a plate or a cup or something gets cracked or smashed is they fill the crack where they, they piece it back together using bits of gold and they basically do it for that exact reason of like the these things that broke you and, and now things that make you pretty and strong and, and what you yeah. are and it's such like a simple but beautiful kind of practice they do and yeah. it's just like, i can't remember what it's called but it's yeah it's amazing oh, I love um but yeah conscious of time um got a couple more questions for you a couple final questions so the first one is podcast is called dreamers disease yes um so what does the dreamers disease mean to you um i feel like especially in my, in my sense like i'm such a big dreamer that once i maybe reach that dream i'm like hey what's next or like i'm, I'm so proud of myself but where now what more can we do and i think it's that constant like evolution of like am I ever like can you ever reach your dream or do your dream just keep growing with you mm. I think that's like almost the disease because it's like can you appreciate how far you've come because you're constantly chasing what's in front of you yeah that's nice nice way to put it I like that um, and then final question is what does happiness mean to you oh oh god what does happiness mean to me I think it's being content in the moment with the people around me and really appreciating my entire surroundings. Um, I think happiness changes. It could literally just be when plans are cancelled and you wanted them to anyway. That could be your sense of happiness or it could be when you're having a family day surrounded by all your loved ones. Um, yeah, I think it's just being like present in the moment and enjoying every second of yeah. it. Amazing. That's awesome. Well, look, thank you for this. This has been great. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, before we sign out, can you let people know where they can find you online, like your Instagram, YouTube, mm -hmm. whatever you want to kind of plug? Um, so it's Instagram, YouTube and Twitter. And it's all Steph Ellswood, S-T-E-P-H-E-L-S-W-O-O-D. Awesome. Well, look, again, thank you. I really appreciate the time because I know you're super busy. Um, it's been great to have you here and talk about all these amazing things and like hear about your kind of journey. And yeah, feel like I'm not actually just preying on your life for once. I'm actually like having a conversation with you. It's quite nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks so much. And, oh, thank yeah, you so much. There we have it, guys. That was Steph's story. And as I said, this was a really, really powerful one. I love Steph's energy. I love her honesty. I love her openness. I just love a lot about her. She's just an amazing person. And she's equally as amazing in real life. I can take that for granted as of someone who's been following her for a number of years. So I really hope you found this episode powerful. If you did, be sure to leave it a review whatever you're listening to this podcast right now because the reviews help spread the message of the podcast. They help get that message out there. And as I said at the beginning, if you did enjoy it, take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram story, tag me at I am Alex Manzi, tag Steph at Steph Ellswood, and we can both connect with you over there. But until next time, I will see you then. Make sure you go out there and chase your dreams. This podcast is produced by Unedited.